And uh, we are uh, just finishing off the series. How many, uh, first of all, how many of you are now in more of a Christmas mood after this morning's worship? Yeah, come on. Like, it's like, why are they singing Christmas carols? And then by the end, you're like, in a manger. you're crying. It's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like it's, it gets you in the mood, doesn't it? It's so good that we're, we're kind of being drawn into Christmas. And that was amazing. So thank you, worship team, for doing that. But um, we've been talking about God's plan for work. And I want to finish this series it's very important that I finish a series before we launch into the Christmas series, and uh, and so this is uh, this is for Joel Hemshoot. Joel has this need to have things finished, right, Joel? Amen, brother. So this is the finishing of that series of God at Work, and uh, we're very thankful that we can do that. We've been talking over the last several weeks, and I really want to encourage you to read that book, Every Good Endeavor. It's a phenomenal book on really bringing God into the workplace and what it really means. And so I want to encourage you to really look that book up or get that online, or I think we have a few copies maybe left here. We might not, but if we, if we do, you're welcome to purchase them as well. What was God's plan for work? We found out uh, as we've gone through this series, first of all, that about 25 to 33% of your life is spent at work. That is a fairly significant number. Amen that up to 33% of your time in this world is spent at a place called work. So, you know, work is kind of important to God. We also discovered as we were going through that, you know, work is not, uh, you know, this, this, this thing that happened after the fall, you know, like people are like, I hate work, I can't, I just don't want to be at work. No, 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 work was actually here at the beginning of time before sin came into the world, before God, uh, before mankind chose to walk away from God, work was always there. So that you know that you are created actually to work, which is interesting. You know, man discovers one of his primary purposes for existence, not only to walk in relationship with his creator, but also to work alongside of his creator. You know, God wants to work through you in whatever area of your life you're working in. He wants to take your unique gift mix. I call it your unique GPS, your gifts, your passions, your skills. He wants to take those things, and, and wherever you are working, he wants to bring his kingdom in, through, in, in and through you. He wants to work together with you. You know, and I just think that's kind of a revelation when we understand that, you know, being a Christian is not just about going to church on Sunday. Amen. Amen. It, it's not. <laughs> it's actually 24-7, 365. That you're to be a believer in every aspect of your life and every part of your life. So how do we bring God to work? That's what we talked about. We went through a few uh, Sundays where we talked about the problems with work. And uh, this is a great section of the book. And I, we didn't really elaborate on this book. This is why I'm pitching the book very strongly now. Because there's some incredible teaching in there about the problems at work. We want you to really be encouraged by that. But number one thing that we really need to understand about the problem with work is this. You're living in a fallen and a broken world. You're living in a fallen world. And so you're living with people who are created in the image of God, they are image bearers, but how many know the image has become marred? 
And so even when you're working, you know, sometimes there are deep frustrations at work. Even when you're in your right GPS, you know, your right gifts, passion, skills, you can still like, ah, oh, that person frustrates me. Or that's a problem I'm having, or, or that's creating pain in my life. You know, I'm going to tell you, work is not without its challenges, just like life is not without its challenges. And we need to learn to walk through that and to bring the kingdom of God into our workplace. I love this quote. Let me read it to you. It says, work is not a necessary evil, but a beautiful partnership with God in expressing his creativity, beauty, care, compassion, supplying services to others, and living in fulfillment for our own lives. That's an amazing quote, which leads us to the next thing. We talked about God's plan for work, God's, the problems with work, but the good news and work. What does that mean? The good news and work. In other words, bringing the, the, the idea that the gospel, the good news that you are part of, that you have been redeemed from that broken nature and brought into a new kingdom, the kingdom of the Son of God, whom God loves in you, and he wants to bring that kingdom through your life into this world. Let me read you another quote. It says, whenever we bring order out of chaos... Whenever we draw out creative potential, whenever we elaborate and unfold creation beyond where it has been found, we are following God's pattern of creative cultural development. And we talked about in the beginning of this uh, that you are creating a culture in your workplace. And, and, you know, culture is the word where we get the word cultivate from. You understand? Cultivate is the foundation of culture. So we cultivate the kingdom or we cultivate something. And we cultivate in many different ways. And we talked about that you cultivate with your words. How many of you know your words create something? And in every atmosphere that you're in, you are bringing, uh, you're creating a culture, you're cultivating something by the words that you're speaking. I used to drive my family crazy but I love it now because they actually challenge me when I make a mistake. I used to always challenge them and say, you know, don't say those negative things. Don't say those words over you. Don't speak that over your life. I remember I had to pay my daughter $50 once because she bought a poster uh, from YC when she was in youth group. And this poster, she stuck it on her door and I'm walking by her door and I'm like, it's like, I'm a sinner and I'm, you know, I'm so broken and I'm so, I'm like, tear that poster down. I don't, what did you pay for it? She's like, eight bucks. I'll give you $50 if you destroy that poster right now. I don't want those words being spoken over your life. How many of you know you cultivate with your mouth? And, and I wanted her cultivating the kingdom of God and the life of God, the nature of God, the goodness of God that she's created and she's fearfully and wonderfully made. She's amazing. Amen. Amen. Come on. And, 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 you know, we cultivate not only with our words, but how many of you know you cultivate with your attitudes? <laughs> but I didn't say anything. You don't have to say anything. It's all over your face. <laughs> You've been sucking on sour lemons, and, and I can tell. You know what I'm saying? Like, you cultivate with your attitude. Do you, ever, do you ever feel that way sometimes? You're around people sometimes, and they're like a black cloud? And you're like, you're looking for the nearest exit? Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Be the person that people are attracted to, like magnetically, they're pulled toward you. Man, I want to be around that person. You know, you should be that at work. Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? That you have a power to cultivate the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. 
That's what the kingdom is. And so God is saying, cultivate, bring the kingdom with you. Wherever you go, Christ is in you. Multiply and bring that kingdom through your life. Have a positive attitude. That's an incredible thing that each one of us needs to do and have in our lives. How do we do that? You know, there's lots of ways that we can bring this kingdom to bear in our life. And I want to kind of tie this up now and just kind of finish with some practical thoughts on the gospel and work. I love this. The gospel, however, teaches that the meaning of life is to receive God's love for you and in response to his love, love God and love your neighbor through the operating principle of servanthood. That's pretty cool. That I'm loved by God, therefore I can, I can love myself enough to express love to others and I can do that through the acts of service even in my workplace. And by the way, this works in your family as well. So what does the gospel uniquely do for you and me? What does the good news of being rightly related to God, being in, in, in communion with God, in relationship with God, how does that change things for you and for me in every aspect of our life, but at work in particular, is let's talk about today. Here's the first thing. You have a different passion, mission, and character. Because Christ is in you, because the Holy Spirit resides in you as believers, because you've invited Jesus to come into your life, he comes in by the power of his Holy Spirit and he gives you a new passion to live your life by. Amen? He gives you a new mission and he changes your character so that you are being recreated into the image of God. You say, well, I got a long way to go. Don't we all? Amen. See, work is not just to provide for your family. Work is not just the fulfillment of providing a service to this world. Work is not just exercising your unique gifts. But the gospel gives you a deeper mission, a deeper passion, and a deeper experience to live out in whatever aspect of your life you're living in. That's what the gospel does, guys. It's good news. Amen. So representing God and his kingdom. That's kind of what we're talking about here. How do we do that? You know, it's interesting. I was uh, reading an article recently, actually watching it online is what it was, and it was talking about the Navy SEALs, uh, which I'm fascinated by, But because um, these are the top of the top. These are the elite of the elite. These guys are, you know, they're crazy when it comes to competency. Do you follow what I'm saying? They're the most competent, they're the most you know, trained, they're, they're lethal, they're amazing, uh, powerful group of people. But you know what was interesting about that, I was, I was going through this article and they were saying, you know, how do they choose who leads the Navy SEALs and ultimately even who joins the Navy SEALs? You know, they actually have two things they look at. Number one is their level of competence. They look at their level of competence. In other words, they have the skill set that will take them through that. And that's an important factor. But they said, actually, the, the other factor is kind of the baseline factor, which is just as important, actually more important, and it's character. They said, you know, you can be the most competent of all, in all these skills, but if you lack character, you will not become a Navy SEAL. And when they look at who leads those teams of elite soldiers, the number one thing they look at is character. Because the competency levels are so high already, do you understand? 
That character becomes the thing that they say, you know, I might trust you on the battlefield because of competence, but do I trust you with my wife when we're back home? That's character. And so we have to understand that God wants to birth his character in us, the nature of Christ growing in our lives. And I'm going to tell you, let's make it more practical because none of you here are Navy SEALs. Um, in talking with business owners, I'm going to tell you this, when it comes to who they hire or who they keep, even in economic down times, uh, you know, competency levels are important, obviously. But how many of you know that especially when economic downturns come, the number one employees that get kept are employees of character? Who represents the company best? Who's, uh, you know, when you ask these kind of questions, like who shows up to time on, on work? Who, who has a good attitude at work? Who's, who's, when they speak about the company and working here, who is positive? Who's, you know, when you think about it as a boss, to say, you know, is my name safe in their mouth? I've been around enough lunchrooms to know that most bosses' names are not safe in the mouth of employees. But when you're a Christian, your competency is high, but you might, you know, you need to understand character is that one thing that stands up at a time and says, you know what? Actually, I'm very thankful for my job. I'm thankful for the boss. I'm thankful to work here. You know, you're that weird person in the lunchroom that is different than everybody else. Amen? That's what it means to bring God at work, these character Christians. I, just a couple other quick thoughts there. Number one, and when you're talking about character, character is this. Christians should be known to not be ruthless at work. You ever had somebody treat you ruthlessly at work? It's not good. You should be known to not be ruthless. In other words, you're not just there to be self-protecting, but you're there serving in that workplace. And I'm telling you, that is a picture that gets shown in your life. Christians should be known to be generous in the workplace. Well, what does that mean? Generous with praise for others. Generous with encouragement. Generous with work ethic. That's what Christians should be known for. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, that that's so exciting. I say to our kids all the time, um, you know, the world is so desperately in need of charactered workers today. Like, even if you're like average today, you're like a superstar. Sorry, it's actually true. Talk to employers. They're like, oh, my goodness, I can't get people to work. I can't get people to do certain things. Character is so important. Christians should be known as to be the calm and poised presence in the face of difficulty or failure. Um, how many of you know the world's gone crazy? Merry Christmas. The world's gone crazy. Um, but, you know, Christians need to be those that actually are kind of calm in the midst of it, the storm. And just like it's okay. God's in charge. You're, we're going to make it. You know, and, and, you know, that we just, we hear all these things and, and we have to be that force of calmness, that force of peace in the midst of challenges. And uh, I just want to challenge you to do that. Here's the last thing. And I thought it was a very interesting point. And I'm reading these several last points actually right out of the book chapter that I was doing. Christians should not be seen as sectarian. What does that mean? <laughs> they should know at your work, that you're a believer. Now, when they say, oh, he's a believer, they shouldn't roll their eyes. 
He's a believer. You know, like you got all the Christian plaques up on the wall and you got all the stuff stuck on your, but you don't have the character to match the stuff that you're sticking up. Don't be that Christian, you know, that's preaching at everybody. Be a Christian that preaches with your life. That when people look at you, they go, wow, there's something different about that guy. And I'm going to tell you one of the great signs to me when I worked before I was in the church world is that when people would have problems in their life, they would come to me. That was a sign to me that I was living a character life. That when they were having problems in their marriage or problems in different things, they would say, can you pray for me? I know that you do that prayer thing. Can, you know, I just need to talk to you about something. That would happen to me. And I believe it happens to many of you in your workplaces. Don't be seen as sectarian. Don't be that guy preaching on the street corner uh, at your work office and just like everybody's like, oh, that guy drives me crazy. He's so preachy in the wrong way. But also, you know, here's the other thing. Um, don't be silent. I remember one time we had a, a person get saved in our church and he was a, a high-level business executive and um, he got saved and he actually came into our church and he saw somebody from his workplace here. And he, you know what his first words were? I didn't know that guy was a Christian. I said, how long have you been working with him? Seven years. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, yeah, he is apparently a Christian. I, I'll ask him about that later. But that shouldn't be. Are you following me, guys? I remember one time, uh, you know, uh, two neighbors were living next to each other, and um, obviously they're neighbors, and, uh, <laughs> and, and then they ran into each other in a large church, church of about 1,000 people, and they're looking at each other, oh, don't I know you from somewhere? They're like, yeah, I'm your neighbor. And they had lived next to each other for two years, and neither of them knew that they went to the same church. Don't be that Christian. Amen? Be that believer that, you know, lives their life in such a way that your life is a reflection and, and, a, and a draw and a magnet toward the goodness of God. Hallelujah. So that's the first thing. You know, be a preacher at work, not only in your words, but in your character. And probably not so much in your words, but also just in your character. You know, this is why we come to church and this is why we worship this is why we read our Bibles. This is why we go to care group. This is why these things are critical for your life. Because in those times of community and being connected to one another, do you know that the nature of God is actually changing you? Do you know the Word of God is actually powerful enough to begin to change your life just by reading it consistently? Do you know the Spirit of God, when you're in the midst of the community of God's people, there's something that changes you? How many of you have ever experienced this, and maybe you even did it today, where you're starting off in worship and going, what are they singing Christmas carols for? This is dumb. It's not Christmas yet. It's December 1st for the love. But then you submit yourself to the kids. 17 people are like, oh, that was me today. <laughs> But if you submit yourself in the midst of that and you start singing those songs, isn't it amazing how something changes in you? There's like a, huh, God is here. God, God is in the Christmas carols? Yes! We're talking about God. So we have a different passion, a different mission, and a different character. 
what does it mean when a pe- preacher looks at his watch? Nothing. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't mean a thing. It was just causing me some discomfort, so I wanted to check what was going on. <laughs> so we have a different view of humanity, church. A different view of humanity. Listen, you, you, you have to understand that the people that are difficult for you to work with are because they are fallen and they need to be restored to new life through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So because you have a picture of humanity that differs than everything else, I want you to understand that every single human being you look at has value to God. Every one of them. And, and, and we need to get that. You know, I understand something that, that listen to me now carefully, that um, in terms of economically, people have different values. Like, you know, somebody who's a doctor might have a different economic value for the investment that's gone into their life, for all the things they've done. They have, you know, maybe then somebody like me, let's say, or somebody, you know. So there's different economies that you say, well, this, I value this person more than that person. But how many of you know, theologically, we are all equal? The way God sees the world is not the way you see the world and I see the world. You know, it was interesting when I was in Mozambique, um, I was commenting on and I was enamored with and I was taken with the kingdom of God manifesting uh, through my time in Mozambique and seeing God's kingdom. I'm going to talk about that tonight at our annual meeting, by the way, uh, which I think we forgot to announce. I'm not sure. Did we announce that? I was out. We did. Thank you, Peter. I was like, that was my bathroom break. I missed that announcement. Sorry. So... Be, be there tonight. I'm going to talk about the kingdom of God manifesting and, and what that really looks like. And what I'm going to tell you is one of the things that they had there was uh, they had yard workers. And these yard workers, their job was cleaning up. That was their whole job. But they kept this thousand hectares pristine. Like it was beautiful to the point, like they don't have roads and stuff like that. It's dirt. But they were sweeping the dirt. So the, the paths that you walk on are like, there's no leaves, there's no, it's just gorgeous. And so I commented in the gathering every morning, we had devotions every morning at 7 a.m. And I just said, you know, you guys who are on the cleanup crews, you are manifesting the kingdom of God because you're bringing order out of chaos. And I just thanked them. I said, I want to thank you. And at the end, when they thanked me when I was leaving and Pastor Matty, that man, one of the men got up who was one of the cleaners, and he was in his 60s. Now, remember, in Mozambique, the average lifespan is 56. So he was an older man, and he'd been working for, the, for them, cleaning, sweeping the dirt for years. And you know what he said? I want to thank the pastor for coming and telling me that what I would do is valuable to God. And I thought, wow. We don't know. Value people next to you. We have a different view of humanity. We have a different source of guidance, church. Amen? <laughs> Listen to me. You've got the word of God. And you've got the spirit of the living God living inside of you. You have a different source of wisdom at work than anybody else who does not know the Lord. 
And I'm going to tell you, don't neglect it. You know, we are neglecting the word of God in our lives. We are neglecting it as believers. And I'm going to tell you, the word itself intrinsically has power. There is anointing on the word of God. Well, I don't really, you know what? Read your Bible. Get in the word. The word gets in you and it changes you. Hallelujah. You know, here's a challenge for you. I got a couple challenges. Number one is this. I want to challenge somebody maybe to consider doing a Bible study group with this book, Every Good Endeavor. I think it's a phenomenal book that needs to be studied further. Maybe a men's group will start it or somebody will start it. Take that book on and say, I want to get this in my spirit. What's going on? I want to learn about this. But I'm going to give you another challenge, and I love this one. Uh, here's the other one. Read the book of Proverbs every day. Now, how do you do that? That sounds like a lot. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. If you read the chapter on the day that it's on, you will go through the book of Proverbs once a month. So in other words, today is the first, Betty's birthday. If you were to start today, you would start at Proverbs chapter 1. And tomorrow you would read Proverbs 2 on the 2nd. And I'm going to tell you, this is a discipline. I don't, I don't practice it as much as I used to. I used to practice it for about two years. I did that every day. First thing in the morning. The reason I'm telling you the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And you will gain wisdom. It'll blow you away. You'll be like, whoa, where did that come from? Where did that thought come from? How to deal with people. How to deal with situations. It's an incredible thing. So there's a challenge for you. You can say at your workplace. I don't care if it's at your lunch break. Read the chapter of the day that you're in. And if you miss a day, don't just go ahead to the next day, whatever day you're in. You have a different uh, passion, mission, character, a different understanding uh, in your life of humility. You have a different wisdom and insight. And here's the last thing. You have a different audience. Whom are you serving at work? Who's watching you work? Whom are you working for? Whose op opinion matters most in the end? It's interesting. I, I think I skipped the Colossians 1 verse. That was another challenge I had for you. That was just pray that one. You can bring that up really quickly. Colossians 1. Just pray that verse every day. It's a great prayer. 1 verse 9 to 12. It talks about the wisdom from God and knowing the will of God. That's another challenge I gave to you. So maybe if you don't want to read Proverbs, maybe start praying that prayer or maybe do the book, whatever you want. Let's go to the next one, a different audience, the different audience who's watching you work. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 to 8. This is the Passion Translation. I love this because it changes the word slave and, and uh, master to employer and employee, which I think is an accurate thought. It says, those who are employed should listen to their employers and obey their instructions with great respect and honor. Serve them with humility in your hearts as though you were working for the master. Always do what is right and not only when others are watching so that you may please Christ as his servants by doing his will. Serve your employers wholeheartedly and with love as though you were serving Christ and not men. Be assured that anything that you do is that is beautiful, and excellent will be repaid by the Lord, whether you're an employee or an employer. That's kind of good, good advice, eh? Who are you working for? I love that. You know, serve with respect and with honor. We, we lack respect in our world today. 
So to be a person of respect in your workplace, man, that's a beautiful thing. Respect your fellow workers. Just respect them, you know, and just be courteous. That's okay. We can all do that. And, and uh, you know, you don't have to be a believer to do that, but I'm going to tell you there's a power for you to do it when you are a believer. Treat people with respect and honor. Here's the second one. Serve with humility as one working for the Lord and not for men. Now listen, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself accurately. Just think of yourself accurately. I'm created in the image of God. I'm, I'm God's workmanship. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but so is the person I'm working with. God bless them. You know, if you're having problems and conflict with somebody at work, I'm going to give you a great hint. Pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you, the Bible says, and despitefully use you. I'm going to tell you, if you, every time you think of that person, you get angry, or every time you think of that person, you're thinking of ways to, you know, sabotage them at work, start praying for them. Start praying for them. You'll be blown away how your heart will change toward them. That's an amazing thing. You know, humility does not mean thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. <laughs> Just think of yourself less. And I think that's one of the advantages of being connected to Christ is that it pulls our eyes off of ourselves. Amen? That, that curved in nature that we're always fighting. Looking at me, look at me, look at me. Oh, force yourself to look up, to look at God. Here's the next one. Serve not only when his eye is on you. I love this. Always do what is right and not only when others are watching so that it may please Christ as his servants by doing his will. Lastly, serve wholeheartedly. It just means to serve with cheerfulness and joy. You got to work for 33% of your life. You might as well like it. If you're just waiting for retirement, dang, that's bad. You're not going to find a lot of joy in that. You know what I'm saying? Like your retirement is actually in eternity. So just serve, just love life. Just go to work with a great attitude and just be like, man, I love work. I think I've told you this many, probably several times, but my father was a guy who loved work. He loved it. He actually found so much of his identity and connection in work. And uh, he worked right up to the week before he died, 76 years old. And I think when he decided that he needed to step down from work, that's when he, for him it was just like, okay, that's it, I'm done. And but you understand there was a great driving, I, I won't go into the details, but he actually had great energy and passion and power because he loved work. He loved to go to work. And so be a person who loves to work. Serve wholeheartedly. Amen? This is a little bit of a different message today, church. But anything that you do in my life and your life that is beautiful or excellent will be repaid by the Lord, whether you're an employee or an employer. I love that. I wanted to give you some just practical landing points coming out of this message.